Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. I'm Jen from DuPage County, Illinois. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Hey, Glenn. Hello again. Again from, from you know, well, rainy, sunny, sunny, uh, sunny California, Southern California. Did you say rainy, sunny California? <laughs> I did. There's a little there's a storm coming through tonight, but uh, right. um, it smells like desert rain. Uh, I love that smell. Uh, how are things up north? Yeah, they're going, you know. They're it's going? That, it's that time right before the holidays, that sort of dreary gray November <laughs> up in Minnesota, so... <laughs> Well, I, I, I promise not to mention it every episode because, you know, that's not kind of the focus of this show. But, man, I love my new job. I <laughs> it, is, it is, you know, going from, uh, you know, getting a new toy that you really like every couple years to just living in the toy store. And <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I, I'm just so excited. So, uh, you know, as, as um, things come out... Um, I can't wait to talk about it at conferences and stuff uh, when when you know we we uh, really do when I really do you know uh, am focused on uh, on on that kind of work. But uh, just super excited to to be where I'm at and and uh, wanted to share that with everybody out there. Yeah, no, it, it comes across loud and clear. You're you're excited. You're you're in a new relationship. It's the honeymoon phase, <laughs> and the the sex is great. Uh. Before uh, getting too far into the show, uh, I wanted to give a big thanks out there to to our listeners again, uh, but especially to uh, some recent Patreon subscribers. So um, thanks to Emily, uh, to Ryan, uh, Rich, uh, to Sean, and WM. Thank you guys all for, for signing up through Patreon uh, kicking a few dollars uh, our way. Uh, it's been a little bit between some gaps. Uh, missed it last time and the conference episodes. That uh, So this is kind of going back a few months, but uh, just about caught up But uh, on some new subscribers. And again, wanted to say thanks to them and all the listeners out there that, that keep listening. Indeed. Thank you very much. Now, you know, every week... You know, there's there's a couple thousand people that hit play and listen to us, and that's that's still exciting. And and uh, uh, and thanks to all those people out there too. Yeah, so we better make it good. Another thing that I've been forgetting to mention for months now, a few months ago, I did a little cross promotion podcast recording with another podcast, and I did not mention this to you at all. But uh, <laughs> so this is news to you as well. Well, thanks for cheating on me. <laughs> but. Um, uh, this is back when I was teaching in Idaho. So this is back in May, actually. There's a a, a podcast out uh, up in that records up in Idaho, the Boise area, called Stinker Madness, and uh, they're a uh, a podcast that talks about uh, B movies or bad movies, and you know, kind of joke and riff about that. So anyway, I, I uh, reached out to them uh, over you know the, the internet and. We were talking about different bad movies and mentioned I was going to be in town. So we got some dinner together and you know, just talked about some bad movies and, had, and shared one of my personal favorites, 
which then they wanted to do an episode on. And I asked, hey, do you mind if I join you? And, you know, I do a podcast as well. And they said, come on in. So, um, and they mentioned, you know, me and this podcast on their show. So I wanted to definitely return the favor uh, for the Stinker Madness. Uh, episode 383 is the one that I was on, uh, where we talk about Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Oh, my uh, God. Have I told you about this movie, Glenn? Yeah, I, I know of this movie. I have not seen it personally. I value my time and life more than than that. I, it's it's from the director of photography of Star Wars. <laughs> and, and uh, I don't know, The Omen. He did a whole bunch of stuff. Pia Zadora, uh, Ruth Gordon, Michael Berryman, Craig Sheffer, uh, Jermaine Jackson. So, uh, it's a, <laughs> of course. Is exactly. It's it's glorious, and I love it. So, uh, if if you like bad '80s movies with really cool songs, uh, then uh, you can check that out as well. I'll wait for the Mystery Science Theater version of it. Anyway, uh, so Glenn, um, uh, why don't we start off this episode? You mentioning some of the classes that you have coming up. Yeah, uh, for listeners that might be interested, you know, I, I've been teaching the Ace V class, Advanced Ace V Applications class, and for the last year or so, I've been really working on renovations to the class. Every now and then, you got to update that stuff. So I'm actually that's what I've been working on the last couple of weeks are just updating all references and making it kind of fresh and focusing on what issues are important today, which I'm noticing a lot of things, like a lot of the original Ridgeology issues and those sorts of things don't seem as relevant to me. I mean, those aren't the kind of challenges that you see in court today. Uh, The the focus, of course, is more on documentation and close non-matches and all all those kinds of challenges, conclusions and conflict resolution, etc. So it's kind of nice to be able to update the class. And if anyone's interested in taking the course, there are two that I think are listed at Ron Smith & Associates. One is in March, which is in Calgary, Canada. And then the other is going to be April 20th or the 24th. And that is in the New Jersey, uh, in, in New Jersey, in the Hackensack, New Jersey area. So if you're interested, go to Ron Smith and Associates and register. Also looking for hosts. If anyone wants to host that class in 2020, uh, starting anywhere June or later, uh, Give me a call. Let me know if you're interested in hosting. I don't have any on the books after that. And again, I I love teaching that class. So always looking for opportunities to bring it to your neck of the woods. All right. So we've got an article lined up to talk about uh, this evening. But before we get to that, we we did want to mention um, a couple things from uh, OSAC. Glenn, did we talk about that you've you've joined in with the the physics and patterns SAC? You mean the PSAC, which uh, appeals to my inner 12-year-old boy? <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, I don't know that if we did talk about it or not. Uh, yes, I did join it, but it looks like it will be very short-lived because they were doing away with it. <laughs> it is, um, it's one of the changes that's coming to the new OSAC. They keep talking about this OSAC 2.0. So uh, they're going to be doing away with some of their resource groups and all these other committees. Uh, if you think of it, all the different layers and that will review these documents, instead they're looking at doing away with all those groups, including the PSAC pattern evidence group that's over the the subcommittees and that reviews these documents. 
do away with all those people, cut out the excess, and then put those people, if they want, into the subcommittees, which I don't want. <laughs> we haven't talked about that. I don't really want to go and be working on writing the standards. I like reviewing them and making suggestions, but I already did that for 10 years and – uh, there's so many other capable people out there, people who are interested and have a voice and want to share it. I don't know that I need to get involved in the writing of it. So I don't know how much longer I actually will be on <laughs> OSAC, come to think All of right. it. Well, that's that's one of the, the things we wanted to mention. So I guess that, that dovetailed <laughs> and set, set that up nicely. Um, yeah. The other is some uh, some new work product sent out from, uh, from OSAC. Uh, some new best practices – uh, I think the newest ones are on technical review, uh, conflict resolution, and verification. I, those are all documents I had a chance to review too. And man, they're not only have they been very productive, kicking out lots of documents. They've not become standards. They produce these documents. They're really good. I mean, they're very detailed. People reading them might go, "Whoa, uh, this is a lot more work than you know expected," or it's a lot more detailed than past iterations, you know, Swigfast documents. But I have to say, I mean, where we are today, and the the bar has been raised, <laughs> and it's been raised significantly. And, and I think in, when you read these documents, you realize, yeah, these guys aren't kidding around. They require a lot more documentation, thorough documentation in the case, and I, I'm actually. Very pleased with the standards that they've been produce, or sorry, documents they've been producing. So, with that, Glenn, are we ready to get into the actual article for tonight? Definitely. This is out of Science and Justice from the uh, beginning part of this year. It's called "Resolving Differing Expert Opinions" by Isabel Montani, Raymond Marquis, uh, Nicole Egliantonios, and Christophe Champeau from you know the Lasson Group, and uh, it's really getting into conflict resolution and proposing some ideas on on how to address that and as always if uh, any listeners out there uh, don't have access or way to get this article just go and reach out and contact either myself or glenn so yeah let's just take it from a high level uh, what the pa- what the paper discusses of course is what happens when you have a verification process where one reviewer and a second reviewer and the the paper discusses this but let's say independently review the evidence and they reach different conclusions. Uh, and by different conclusions, we'll dig into that in a little bit. By different conclusions, they mean different strength strength of evidence, different weight of evidence, where they where they perceive that to varying degrees or different magnitudes or even different directions, the evidence that they observed in a fingerprint comparison differs in how it either supports the the proposition that they're from the same source or from different sources. And then they go through a number of different things to consider and uh, recommendations that they make. So that, that I'd say that's at the high level. Just overall, what was what was your what was your assessment of the paper? Did you did you enjoy it? Yes and no. So there are parts I was like, ooh, this is really good. I like I like this explanation. I like this breakout this description of how to really dive into and and tackle this resolution and other parts i was like well I, i'm not uh, that's maybe not i don't quite agree, necessarily agree with that so um it, i mean it was uh, it's a great paper overall uh, i think just for me overall there were parts that uh, i was all for and parts that i was like eh, 
I don't know if we have necessary evidence to support that. Okay. All right. And I, I have a feeling I know where that's going to land, but we'll get, we'll get to that in a little bit. I really liked this paper. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed their take on it. I like their writing style. I I mean, I'm, I'm not surprisingly probably biased coming out of that community. Right. It, it resonates with me. I know what they're saying. I get what they're saying. What I liked about it is there was no wishy-washiness. They took a stand on things, and that's probably where you probably might have disagreed on some things and thought, well, all right, well, that's a solution. It's not the solution I would pick, but it's a solution. I like that they always had a clear here is our stand, here's our view. It's not in the future, you might have to figure out how to handle that, but you know, we'll deal with that tomorrow. No, no, they they took a stand on every issue and I I actually appreciate that. I like I like when a, a piece has uh, an opinion and they they defend it. Now, again, I imagine we'll dig in and figure out what you disagree right, with right. or and I I disagree with a few things too, or at least I thought several times that's a great solution. Except I have several cases where that might fall <laughs> apart. Exactly, and 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 they're the they're the exceptional cases, the black swan oddball cases. But I have some where th- that solution simply doesn't work. But it would work for ninety nine point something percent of the other cases. And to me, that's actually pretty fair. And if it works the majority, then I say by all means, let's use it for the majority. Absolutely. And even in their introduction, they mention uh, that. That despite you know the importance of this verification step that we have as a part of ACEV, there's not a whole lot of of you know advice out there or papers like this out there that go into all right. You you have a disagreement now. How do we resolve that? How do we you know pull it apart and come back together? You know and address what this verification step is supposed to be doing in in right. where differences of opinion come up. And then they get resolved one way or the other. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to jump way ahead to something yeah. to say towards the end, something I really liked, but might it might even give a little bit of heartburn. But let me I let think me I jump know what you're going to say. This. And I, this is another part I actually uh-huh. really liked, I think. <laughs> oh, OK. All right. So we have witnessed that the conclusion bearing the less weight in favor of the prosecution's view is retained as a reported conclusion on the grounds of being conservative and erring on the safe side. In other words, we've observed that if you guys can't solve verification or you know come to a conflict resolution, you just default to inconclusive. And that, that's basically what they're pointing out. You go with the more con- the conservative decision. This is basically every agency across the the world almost right and that more conservative conclusion tends to be quote unquote inconclusive or potentially no value to the middle right and what they say to that is our view is the consensus shall be based on sound scientific arguments and not on policy it means that if no consensus is obtained even after consultation with a third expert then the case actually should report all the opinions in the case examiner one's conclusions examiner two maybe examiner three and report multiple conclusions as opposed to simply defaulting to a single quote-unquote less conclusive or more conservative opinion they think it should be based on a, on a higher level of transparency and data and i went whoa i a i like the, i like taking a stand on this oh yeah and i you know I, I kind of agree with them although um will cop to been in that situation before and certainly when I worked for the crime lab, that was the default setting was to just simply report out inconclusive. So I, I, I kind of like that stand. No, I totally agree. This is one of the things where I, I 
I haven't heard someone take this this very strong and against the grain stand. Yeah, and I I really do agree that 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 there's definitely benefit to that of hey there's these you know two or sometimes maybe even three slightly different opinions uh, in the same lab system instead of just uh, deciding all right here is the the agency overall opinion here's let's just and then what they really get down to here is the transparency yeah is the transparency of this of uh, of what happened here is tried you know is kind of conveyed to uh, the end user and all those uh, conclusions are um, are part of that now as a kind of taking off the oh that's really cool <laughs> And, uh, you know, examiner perspective and kind of trying to put on a, a crime lab perspective that and there is a, a tendency. And I'm not sure if sorry if it's necessary, but it, it does exist out there of, you know, you have to give one result, you know, uniform result from the monolithic lab. Right. Because um, it's the lab reporting out, not the examiner uh, reporting out uh, a result. So, I mean, this is going to have to be, if that's going to go forward, it's going to have to be a, you know, quite a significant change in in policy and even just mindset uh, of a lot of crime labs out there. But, you know, with that increased amount of um, transparency, uh, I don't know, I, I guess it's also, you know, like you're saying, it tends to just be, all right, we're just going to say inconclusive. That's basically saying nothing saying these different opinions actually gives something more uh, to the end users out there uh, rather than just refusing to say anything else. Yeah, there's no reason that there can't be a range of conclusions. Like you say, traditionally and historically, we've always considered a result coming from a test, but there could be multiple results. Well, and I've said for years that, especially on the uh, on the other end of the scale, um, when when uh, it you know it's definitely not an ID. There are some comparisons where it, you know I've had the opinion where both exclusion or inconclusive could both be equally valid answers, sure. and, and would verify either one depending on what the original examiner handed to me. Yeah, it's difficult for <laughs> for I think for like lab system people uh, to deal with, but. But uh, there's absolutely merit in in that uh, that entire concept. Yeah, the, the one thing though, this was actually one of those f- uh, funny things I read in in the paper where I thought, well, actually, I have some cases that would meet the exception here, and I think you do too. Where you might, I have, you give the case to a group of examiners, and half of them want to identify, and half of them want to exclude it. That, to me, is actually a good example when maybe inconclusive might be appropriate. That reporting both the ID and the exclusion I, – I Got it. Reporting that that's what happened I think is OK. That's transparent. And saying, therefore, because no consensus could be reached towards same source or different source, we believe the appropriate conclusion here is simply to say – inconclusive because i'm I'm in those are exceptional cases where that happens right again in 20 years of of doing this i have one or two of those kinds of cases i think you have one or two as well so let me just just to clarify because yeah i have training examples where, where that was the case right but in in the actual casework environment where 
and even in the class when when um, then those samples are moved through a conflict resolution stage and not just every examiner doing it separately, uh, the, the differences kind of wash out and, and a single conclusion is, is kind of agreed on with everybody. Is, oh, I, I, no, I have, a, I have examples where there is no clear consensus what to do. Okay. So the examiners can't. Correct. Can't get all on the same page. Okay, they, they cannot. No, and, and a handful of the case again, handful. They're small right. exceptions. Okay, but I, for the most part, I, I agree. I, I, I like I like the soundness of that statement. So anyway, I know I jumped way ahead. Why don't we go back to the beginning? <laughs> and that's true. I was like I was in the conclusion. I was like last page. But yeah, one of the things that anyone reading this paper, which I really would encourage you to do, because like you said, Eric, there aren't many documents or papers that discuss verification and certainly not at this level of intelligence and insight. And I, I think it's it really does break down the process of verification. But one of the, the things about the paper, and this is where I think some readers might struggle a bit with this, I enjoyed it. I think some of the more traditionally trained examiners will struggle because for them – if they really operate in a very binary system of it's either value or no value and it's either ident or quote-unquote non-ident slash exclusion, then they might not get this paper because this for them there's really no real conflict. How can you have a black and a white? Whereas this paper never even talks about identifications or exclusions. What they really talk about is just the weight of the evidence where you might have moderate support for a proposition – you might have strong support, extremely strong support, varying degrees of support for competing propositions, in which case, well, you can have plenty of differences where one examiner might say it's strong support and the next examiner says it's extremely strong or one says it's strong support for the same source, but the other examiner says it's strong support for a different source. So in the context of this paper, it makes a lot of sense because you've got these little gradations that are either verbally uh, like a verbal scale, a verbal likelihood ratio scale, or a numerical likelihood ratio scale. So I, I think some some of our listeners without maybe that background or that work environment might might struggle a little bit. Thoughts? Well, I, I, you know, this is even backing up even further, but the audience of this paper isn't just latent print examiners or fingerprint friction ridge examinations. Yeah, uh, they talk about. Uh, pattern comparison as a whole, including fingerprints, but also tool marks, which also includes firearms, right. uh, footwear, and handwriting. And I mean, you get to handwriting where even in a traditional sense that what they've been working with, even without going to uh, you know to a, a likelihood ratio kind of numerical scale, uh, is is a nine range verbal conclusion scale. You know, that's you, you still get this kind of disagreement, not necessarily on which side of the scale you're on, but what level yeah. extremely strong versus very strong versus magnitude. moderate. Yeah, the magnitude of it. So, it, even if, if, um, uh, you're most comfortable uh, in a traditional ID or exclusion or don't say anything kind of uh, model for fingerprints. You know, this is trying to take a, a higher view to encapsulate 
what we do in fingerprints, but also uh, what um, footwear tool marks uh, and uh, handwriting does. Yeah, I, I think my point is that if you operate in a system that's all one shade of gray for your inconclusive, let's just say inconclusive due to limited information malatent, and that's all right. you'll ever say, then you won't detect differences in the weight of evidence. You could, Examiner one could be very strong support for same source, and examiner two is very strong support for different sources. They both report inconclusive. You don't detect effectively the difference. Uh, it's, it's kind of my problem uh, when you have such a, a large open box or you know these gigantic categorical conclusions is there's not enough fine precision within that box to detect that there actually was a different a true difference between the two examiners it, it won't won't come out in the wash right right no i i, I can totally see that but um it's it's uh you're right now that i'm kind of thinking back and looking through the paper again it, <laughs> without mentioning you know, the terms ID or exclude, well, they do get to exclusion a little bit, but uh, without getting into uh, ID, but only, you know, ranges of the strength of evidence, um, it, it, uh, it, I don't know, maybe I, I just didn't pick up on, on how different that really is from, uh, from, you know, a lot of what's come in the past. It's not unexpected coming from Lausanne. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's right. not. Getting into really the meat of the paper now, they, they outline how two examiners reaching uh, different weights of evidence, different uh, uh, different opinions, uh, I guess maybe an easier way to say it, uh, can work to resolve those differences and, um, and come to uh, a consensus or, like we said earlier, report out uh, both of them if that's necessary. They, they mentioned both the kind of traditional scenario where one examiner does an ACE process and then a second examiner does the verification that happens after, basically a non-blind verification. Uh, and then they map out showing okay, two examiners, both completing uh, separate ACE processes. And then, um, you know, as long as the final conclusions of each are close enough together, then that's gets reported out and if they're not then they go through some sort of um this this resolving resolution of the conflict and i mean we've talked about this before this then kind of sets up the case where every examination has to be done independently twice and i i I just don't see uh that as practical and they go even uh you know to the point of saying that that it, it's required uh, for you know what they have here set up here uh, that the confirmation bias needs to be mitigated the risk of confirmation bias needs to be mitigated and again I, I've, we've talked about this before I just don't see it you know if um, uh, for an easier comparison uh, or for most even comparisons another examiner following up and, and reviewing what the first person has done. Uh, is often sufficient, and in some cases, you know, that may be preferred to just having two separate people both possibly making the same mistake uh, as they go through their comparison. Now, if there is a you know a difference detected, I don't see any issue with with that verifier then handing it to a third person to begin a you know, a essentially a blind verification at that point. Yeah, I I, I get your 
point here, and again, knowing at least a couple of these authors, I know they're not in favor of necessarily blind verification in every single case. Uh, so th- maybe what, what just simply wasn't clear in the paper, and maybe it could have been handled with two sentences, is once whatever method you use to determine if the case will go as a blind verification uh, due to complexity of the case, due to some pre-assessment, due to whatever tools or models you use to assess the latent before it goes throughout the process that lands it into this kind of, yeah, you should probably have two separate experts reviewing this, then this now applies. I mean, I I totally get your point uh, because it doesn't say – it says if you're going to follow this kind of conflict resolution method, then you have to have them work it independently. But it doesn't ever say you should always have them work it independently in every single case. Maybe to your point, they would agree that if it's a no-brainer with a lot of details, it would be unnecessary because there's no anticipated conflict. But if you can anticipate the possibility of conflict, either through metrics or a swig fast standard of complexity, whatever that might be, right. then this paper, then this process becomes initiated. Like I said, even if you don't anticipate any kind of conflict, but it does arise. You just, or you just yeah, give it to somebody else, have them start from scratch, and now you have two independent uh, examinations that can then go into this process. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I suppose there's probably a middle ground that can happen. Is let's say the case doesn't qualify for independent review. You're the verifier. You, in fact, they even have a nice little graphic of it. You come in as the verifier looking at the conclusions of the first and then go, mm, hold on here. I don't know if I agree with this. Exactly. Stop. Start all over and then start a more rigorous process of selecting the features. You've already seen the known. You've been exposed to it. There's any reason, though, you couldn't then back up a little bit, do some independent analysis, document your examination – I, I've been in that situation before where it looked routine and then suddenly I had to stop and go, whoa, whoa, okay, let's let's back up and start this all over again. I don't, I don't know that it completely uh, you know, invalidates the whole process to do it that way. And, and you know, to kind of be fair, they, they do mention um, having this – that process where you just come in as a verifier um, and, and start off by reviewing what the initial person does. Uh, they call it a peer review or four eyes principle. Yeah. And then, you know, follow it up, say that it suffers from a, a risk of confirmation bias. Uh, and absolutely, I don't want to deny that there is a risk of confirmation bias. My uh, argument is that – the the benefits of that four eyes principle that peer review mindset i i don't know it's if it's you know compared to the risk of confirmation bias you know th- there is still you know the, there are benefits for that principle and you know a risk of confirmation bias and i don't know if the risk of confirmation bias outweighs the benefits that you get from from that uh, that peer review that's that's different than just two independent people yeah, just working from scratch uh, separately. Yeah, I don't know that they would make, or they didn't, and I don't know that they would make that argument either. That one outweighs the other, because ultimately, what they say, and this is what I think their main point is, regardless of whether it's blind or non-blind, you have to independently document your your uh, your features, your conclusions. They must be documented. That that's the that's really the heart of this is the 
independent documentation. Yeah, you might have seen the guy's conclusion already or maybe you didn't, but no matter what, you can't just go, well, this was my this is where I'm at and that's that. You actually have to be able to support your conclusion with documented features and as much as possible as rigorous as possible. Absolutely. You know, and that's uh for for me and what some of the classes I've taught over the past year uh, kind of focused in on, especially that gyro class, was what gyro documentation can do uh, in conflict resolution. Ooh, what can gyro do for you? Like <laughs> exactly. <it. laughs> Not what can brown do for you, but what can green, yellow, red, and orange do for you? Yes. <laughs> I need to market that. Um, and it, it really is a, is, is, a, is a great way to begin this process. Where you compare, all right, what you know, this point, what color do you have? What color do you have? And um, and I've done that before in my uh, exclusion class. Is is working through a difficult comparison? You know, get it on screen. All right, take a poll of the room. What color is this point? All right, everyone said green. All right, it's green. And you know, what color is this point? All right, I got some greens. I got some yellows. I got some reds. Let's kind of average into a yellow there. Doing that to build a consensus feature set of what all the colors look like not not eliminating any colors you know all right you know, only half the people mark this one let's just put it as red because it... <laughs> that's where you and i probably will deviate and, and as well as the paper deviates too that, i think that's that's one of the benefits of gyro is that you can you can include more it's not just a binary choice of do i include it in the consensus right. feature set or not now it's do I include it or not? And then which of these colors, how, how do I rank this color? It's in there, but now I just get to rank it of how, um, how much weight it adds to the entire uh, set of information in that print. Yeah, and that's something that the FBI noblest folks explored. You know, when you have a supermajority, a majority – a minority, and so on. And I, I sort of like that within a consensus feature set, you can explore what are the features everybody agrees on, what are the features that most people agree on, and what are the features that a handful of people agree on. We don't entirely have to discount them, but again, they even looked at when you've got just one person marking that feature out of 20, even if it's really there, should it count? And again, that affects people like you the most, and I'm <laughs> I, I'm kind of in favor of dropping those. And then, what I think what it also lets you do then is if yeah, if say out of twenty people, only you know a quarter of the people or even just one person saw it, but now that it's pointed out, everyone in the room can go, oh yeah, I think there really is something there. All right, then that's orange. Like that's what orange is for, right? Yeah, if if that's what they said, or as opposed to. Uh, yeah, I see something there. You got a squint. Come on, you just got a squint. You can see it. Yeah. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. But, okay. So, main, I, I, I'll, I, I take your point here, but I, I think their bigger point is regardless of what, what happens here, you have to have – if you're going to get through a conflict resolution, each examiner involved must have independent documentation. Agreed? When you, when you start this resolution process, both people with the differing opinions have to come into the room, each providing yes. a documented set of features as to uh, that supports their uh, their opinion. 
And from there, then the resolution can begin. If there's just one person that comes in with, here's the points I saw, the original examiner, and the verifier comes in saying, no, I just disagree. Right. The, the, okay, that, that doesn't help. Yep. Or, or, or my favorite, well, there's just not enough there for me. Right, right. <laughs> That's my favorite cop-out. Eh, there's just not enough there for me. Eh, it's not unique enough. Right. right. Like I said, they, they come together, and now there's this measurement of, of how different are they. Yes. And it, it, uh, the paper here spells out, you know, you got to set up some sort of agency policy ahead of time. Threshold. That's what they call a threshold. And this is not like a, an identification threshold or an exclusion threshold. Uh, which kind of I had to re- reread this a couple times to really understand what they meant here. But it's a how different are the opinions threshold? Yeah, th- th- that then triggers. Yes, these are different enough. Right, right. And if they're the same enough, you know, the threshold is is um, if it's lower than the threshold, then basically it's the same conclusion. You know, go forth and report. And uh, if not, then we can continue on. Yeah, and in fact, the paper offers again yet a. Again, a very concrete, clear, numerical standard, if you will. And they offer, look, if you do this numerically or or verbally, it, it, whatever equivalent you have, if it's plus or minus a log 10, which is a 1. So if it's um, – if, if you, Eric, reached 10 to the 5, which is a 100,000 likelihood ratio, and I said 10 to the 7 – what's that, uh, 10 million or whatever, then that would trigger a too too great of a gap between us. But if you said 10 to the 5 and I said 10 to the 6, then we're within range. And that wouldn't necessarily trigger a conflict resolution. And I, I could really – this resonated with me because I do, again, use limited support, moderate support, strong support, extremely strong support, and those map on to numbers for me. So I'm just I'll throwing this out at, at you. Uh, using a model or not, uh, if I'm using numbers, though, basically 10 to the 1, 10 to the 3 would be limited support. 10 to the 4, 5, or 6 is going to be moderate. 7, 8, right up to the edge of 9 is going to be strong support. And right at 9 or higher, which is a likelihood ratio of a billion, is extremely strong support. So again, if you came in with moderate support, roughly 10 to the 5 or so, and I had 10 to the 7, which would be strong support, that would trigger a difference between us. Whereas, again, in um, in some agencies that just had an inconclusive, and that's all they said, there wouldn't there wouldn't be any trigger because there'd be no way of parsing out that we were at different weights of evidence. Uh, uh, it totally makes sense. Uh, it totally makes sense that it's a yeah. Sometimes the there's there's especially when you get into you know this many choices with all the, you know if you're going to a number now you have just infinite choices. Uh, of where or how strong your opinion is, um, or even if it's based on some sort of computer model that gives you a result, which they get into here later in the paper as well. You're, yeah, you're going to have to be able to say, all right, well, sometimes it's a little different, but that's, that's not a big deal, versus you know, this now is, is big enough of a deal where we need to work out and figure out if we can come to a, a common consensus decision. 
Yeah, I and, and look in practice, this is exactly what I do. So this really resonated with me, and I I had a couple of cases. In fact, one of the cases in the last episode that we put up online, uh, where I gave that report for the um, enhanced content for the Patreon subscribers, this was actually exactly the issue, uh, and I, I in that case I had moderate support, and the. And and I had a moderate support within the category of support for same source. Right. And the, the verifier had strong support but had gone identification, which if, if you're following the new OSAC, it, you know, I, I don't know if I would have agreed with that anyway but because it should be extremely strong support under the new OSAC content. So that said, he had strong. I had moderate and once he agreed that maybe there shouldn't be an identification, then we were both within support for same source, but we differed in magnitude. He had strong, I had moderate, and we knew exactly why. In fact, we'll get to that a little bit later in the paper because the paper really digs down into how to resolve those two. And it, and it was very clear what the differences were. So I was very comfortable in my report writing that – the, although the verifier and I disagree on the magnitude of our support, he has strong, I have moderate, we both agree within the category of the conclusion that we're reporting that it's support for same source. So in effect, there was a difference, but not necessarily in the reporting category. And that, that worked out enough for me because we had gone through conflict resolution. We resolved the difference of categories. But then within our verbal reporting scale, we still had a difference of the magnitude. So the, the next step, now kind of understanding this, this difference, this threshold, uh, now recognizing, yes, we have a difference. Uh, the first step that they lay out is find a common set of uh, features through you know, everything that's marked up and documented in both. You know, work through that to to then work together uh, on a common set of features. Find what can be agreed on at the you know very kernelized low level uh, of of what's there of information, and then you can you know try to build this consensus uh, opinion from that. And uh, it makes total sense to me. And like I said, yep. uh, I've done this in classes. You know, we'll get into kind of next steps later, but at least to start, we got to be both looking at the same stuff if we have any hope um, of uh, of moving forward. Well, let me ask you this because it probably impacts you more often. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of this consensus feature set approach. I explored it in my thesis work, and I right. really would like to see more research in this area. One of the things I was never able to resolve would be someone like you. Let's say you and I are working through this, and you point out a bunch of features, and I go, Eric, look, I see a black <laughs> speck there. I see some dust. I just I don't see minutia there. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not. But – I, I just don't see enough to agree with you. So let's say that you're willing to discard those features and just go with the ones that I agree with. Do you legitimately think that now you could go back and make a decision based on just what's in front of you that we've agreed on and effectively forget the earlier features that you observed? That, that's the hardest thing for me is how do you go backwards and now ignore those features if you're the one having to ignore them? Well, so there's a couple things. I think they, they kind of explore things this a little bit. But I think there, there's a couple uh, things that, that I would try to do. And, and if, say, I did see them and, and, and you didn't, you know, I, I'd, I'd be looking for 
looking for things to then you know demonstrate the reality of what <laughs> of what I'm seeing. Um, but for, I think first is like I said is uh, is seeing what can be agreed on. You know, can this at least be an orange point? right that that we see now or do you mm. still really even with the known side by side still just completely not see it yeah we did a, a comparison i think it's on the the premium content uh youtube video where you know i marked out a whole lot more stuff than than you did and then when you saw the known you said yeah it is there right right so could those at least be orange points that we then add into uh to this that's a good point what they mentioned here later on, so skipping ahead a little bit, but you know it pertains bringing in a third examiner. You know, if if a third examiner comes in, maybe that person can parse out. Well, of these four extra points, I see two of them and don't see two. All right, well, just then here we'll you know cut the baby in half and include two and you know toss out two. Um, they also mention uh, going back to the literature, going back to other uh, resources. Well. Um, you know, the um, technology, image enhancement technology is getting better and better. Stick the thing in ULW and turn on some of the enhancement tools like the connector or the, I don't know, there's one, I can't remember, it's the first one in ULW that, that kind of joins up and, you know, draws uh, ridges on everything. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about or not. Uh, the transmogrifier. Uh, something like that. Well, the flux does, capacitor. <laughs> Does does this you know objective ridge finding tool see that a point is there, or does it just draw straight ridge across? Yeah, uh, those are really good suggestions. So I, I think so, you know something. There's steps that you can do besides just digging in your heels, and that's one thing that uh, that I repeatedly say in my in my classes: don't dig in your heels, don't be that guy, but and, and also don't be the pushover, don't be that guy. Yeah, okay. uh, it's got to be somewhere in between where you guys can work together. What I really like here in, in this paper, and I, I, I don't know if I don't think I've ever heard it verbalized in this way, is after you get that combined feature set, really dig into what is the disagreement about, and they they isolate two different uh, aspects. And it's the two halves of the likelihood ratio. Yes, the top half being okay. Are you saying that? You disagree that the features like align or don't align, or how well do they match? Right. The, obviously, they don't overlay perfectly on top of each other. So, is the disagreement because I think they are within tolerance, and you think they're out of tolerance, or you think a yes. point or a couple points are out of tolerance for being you know from the same source, or is our disagreement because yeah, yeah, everything lines up just fine, but I disagree that. Uh, this set of features is unique enough or is discriminating enough out of you know a large group of people to reach this identification to conclusion, basically the denominator in the likelihood ratio. And that's that's a great way of putting it of now that you have this consensus feature set, next step, dissect where the disagreement is uh it, you know and then that lets you again work forward once you've isolated exactly what the disagreement is to seeing if there's a consensus possible 
Yes. Uh, in fact, it's actually my favorite part of the paper is they give a very clear diagnostic tool of first start with this, then start with that. Though There's a third option, though, Eric, is that you could actually disagree at both as well. You could uh, have – True. Yeah. Just, <laughs> true. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, and in in fact, in the case that I was just referring to earlier, this was the really nice thing because you know the initial local examiner had identified the impression, so let's say extremely strong support. Uh, the my verifier had initially identified it, but then he was at strong support, so let's call him strong support, and I was at moderate support. So you had a moderate, a strong. And extremely strong support. In fact, two, because they had it verified in their agency. So let's go with that. What I specifically looked at is, well, do we have matching issues here? And all of us, all four of us, to my understanding, we all kind of agreed on the same features and they were with intolerance. The the main issue, and this is what I had to parse out very clearly in my report, was no, no, what we disagree on is how much weight to put on these features. How discriminating are these features? And because I thought it was a pattern forced area and some of the features represented the cores of double loop worlds, and I don't consider those minutiae, I consider them part of the pattern type, which therefore is a class characteristic, I put a lot less weight on those features. It, it all came down to not the numerator. In, you know how similar looking are they but rather how much weight to put on these features and that was very clear across the board my verifier had put more weight on them and then when i heard the local examiner testify it was very clear he had put a lot of weight on those features in fact he even said in his testimony i consider that area of the impression very discriminating and that these characteristics are more discriminating than your average impression. So it it was real nice to understand why we were differing was not training experience or blah, 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 blah. It came, all came down to how much weight to specifically put on the set of features that we all agreed on. That's uh, and that's such a difficult thing to measure, right? The 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 rarity uh, of these features uh, you can get a little bit out of it with aphis or with the uh, you know, maybe some sort of um, uh, you know tool to measure uh, that's a probabilistic kind of tool which is what i used in the case i actually r- ran the features through the model and that and the model if if you look at it, the model even had lower than i had it had it limited support so technically if you throw in the fifth quote unquote examiner it had limited right. support for those characteristics uh, and, um, and you know those those agency examiners may argue that you know the, the model is not taking into consideration some of the things that they are. Yeah, and it, it, and quite true. In fact, there were several characteristics in there the model couldn't take into consideration. So th- that's that's a that's still a real tough part of uh, of it. But again, it still makes it easier to break these apart rather than trying to tackle the whole thing together. That's what I enjoyed about that case, and what I think the jurors could completely understand is why we disagreed. This wasn't – this was no longer, in my view, Glenn the defense expert slash taking money for his opinion, coming in and just offering a difference of opinion, you know, and he just doesn't agree with us. No, no. Here is exactly where the disagreement lies, and I don't care what side I'm working for. This is why we're going to disagree on this because of the weight being assigned to these specific features. So now that you know the differing examiners have have uh, come to a consensus on what to talk about, they've drilled into the exact nature of where the disagreement lies. 
Yeah, now they're going to start trying to come to a, a consensus opinion, uh, if possible. And again, we mentioned that may not be possible, so you know they recommend reporting out both decisions. But right. what I like here that they really emphasize is that both examiners have to have this as a goal, right? You, you can't. This doesn't work if one examiner goes into the resolution exercise seeking to have their answer come out to be the one reported. Right. Uh, both have to go in with this mindset of, all right, I'm, I'm, I want to reach a consensus, not, you know, uh, get pushed over and and just, you know, get consensus at the at the, uh, you know, no matter what, but. Uh, but work in that direction, and I'm not necessarily right here unmoving from this singular spot on the line of uh, of this scale. But honestly, I, you know, there's a there's a range here that's that's acceptable to me. Where you know, maybe a little lower, maybe a little higher than where I stated my original opinion. And it's looking for okay, do we do we at least overlap maybe a little bit? Where you can come up a little bit, I can go down a little bit, and meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, working from that uh, common feature set, finding the exact nature of the disagreement, and having this this cooperative mindset are all important elements of getting there. Yeah, in fact, I, I again enjoyed that part of the paper because I like that they basically said, if if it was your case to start off with, you don't get to just overrule different opinions even if you sought a second opinion. You don't just get to ignore that minority report. You don't get to just dispel it and go away with it. If you can't reach a, a some sort of resolution with that examiner as they've outlined here, then you should – as they very clearly say and like you, you said – you should report both of those. Uh, the, right. In fact, the phrase they say, the named expert uh, should not get to overrule divergent opinions and report only his own assignment of the strength of the evidence. And I think that's really – that's one of those things that might be difficult again for traditionally trained examiners to hear is, well, are you saying that I should have a report that says someone else disagreed with me <laughs> in that report? Yeah, that's exactly what the paper is saying, and I totally support that. Sounds like you would support that, Eric. It goes even a step further in saying that this really you know, in contradicting kind of lab policy of you shouldn't, as a lab, have this policy that reports out um, the more conservative answer or, or the right. majority answer. If there's still a disagreement that should be included and reported as well. If everyone can, can you know, come to a consensus and everyone agrees on a singular one, okay, then fine, report just the singular conclusion, but have documented that you went through this whole process. But even if the, the agency is the one that kind of overrides and puts out the singular opinion, they are then the one that's overruling divergent opinions and only giving their answer. I don't see any reason not to. I, I yeah. understand that it's probably going to be uncomfortable for examiners the first times they do it, but I'm here to tell you I've been doing that now for maybe two or three years in my own business, and I'm not running into issues. In fact, 
just the opposite. It makes things a lot more transparent. And then my last case, again, it was in the report and it came out during court in front of the jury. And I don't I don't remember any uncomfortable questions the prosecutor asked me other than to to make the point that after you went through this conflict resolution, your verifier changed his opinion to a different conclusion, correct? I said yes. After reviewing new data, which he didn't have access to before, the model and other stuff, he reassessed his conclusion. We He agreed that he had overweighted the features based on the data that I presented him with and changed his conclusion closer towards, towards mine. And then she emphasized this after you talked to him. That was the worst question she asked me. And right. my answer was yes. After he reviewed that data, we had a discussion about the significance of the data. That was it. That was the worst it got. I think examiners will be very uncomfortable, though, because they're so worried that, oh, this will undermine my opinion. This will make things harder for me. It'll, in their mind, might just give more ammunition to those sneaky defense attorneys to ask me those uncomfortable questions. And my answer is, I'm sorry. If you're a scientist, this should not bother you. This should not be that difficult to do. If you're a scientist documenting your observations and have a process in place, if you're not a scientist and you're just a technician and work for a laboratory and want easygoing and want to hide the ball and just, hey, just take my opinions, Mr. Defense Attorney, don't ever ask me any questions, okay, well, then that's not a neutral scientist. You shouldn't have any issues with this, and I'm here to tell you really not that big of a deal. Well, and, and if you have that that mindset of just as a neutral scientist, that there there is no ammo that a side can have. Correct. Because the, the ammo just, it doesn't affect you. You know, it, it's you know, yes, some questions may be harder than others. They they might be uncomfortable for a moment. But I mean that that's that's your job to be able to answer the hard questions. That's what you're an expert in, and um, I mean, there's no you're they're not. It's not that kind of ammo. When it's this transparent and this blunt, I, I think lay people can understand. There are marginal cases that not all experts will dis will agree on, and there might be disagreement. What's most important is we have a process. We have this objective sort of process for working through that. We followed it in this case, and this is the outcome, and I'm reporting it transparently. I don't see how that comes back to, to, to haunt you. I really don't when it's that objective and transparent. Uh, the opposite is not right. the, is not the case though. If you hide the ball, you're not forthcoming about <laughs> it. You don't want the other side to know. You don't document those differences of opinion, and they bring in the other person to testify. And now that that is where I think things could go horribly wrong. Because we just as humans have a tendency to overdo it one way or the other. Yeah, don't overdo it and be like, all right, different opinions every time. We don't have to do consensus at all. <laughs> don't. That's that's overdoing it the other way. Yeah, there should, should still be a goal to get to a consensus uh, opinion and look for uh, where there is a, a possibility of overlap where you can where you can agree <laughs> agree with each other. Yeah, that's why I like their very concrete suggestion of setting that threshold during you know, when you're writing your conflict resolution policy. Yep. And mine is when we disagree in the strength of the verbal conclusion. So if you have moderate and I have strong or 
strong and extremely strong. Then we have a discussion, we work through it, and we see if it impacts the final categorical conclusion, which I'm still reporting categorical conclusions. There you go. So next up that they have, if you still can't uh, get to uh, to a consensus, bring in a third person. Yep. Or, or, or a committee. Or your or committee. I think that's a really common step in, in agencies already. Um, was talking with uh, Carrie Hall over text earlier today about some other stuff and mentioned our topic. And uh, she said that she actually really likes um, a, a process that Phoenix PD has, uh, just talking with, with old coworkers that she has there, where at least initially, even before that step, there's a step where a an expert – uh, not just a management person, but an actual expert is there without an opinion, but just as a mediator to help the the two, uh, you know, look for those uh, the opportunities to to agree. That's interesting. That, that's actually similar to what the Dutch do as well, where they have their complex committee, and the most senior examiner who's running the committee doesn't offer an opinion, but just acts as a facilitator. Right, right. That's a, I mean, that's where they got it. But that, I like that sounds like you know a good idea as well. But then, like I said, here in this document, they say, um, and and I think it's also really common and a great idea. Bring in a third person to 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 get in, uh, add to that consensus feature set, uh, you know, add their opinions into that, and see um, again if that discussion. And then next steps, going out to review, they mentioned here an example, review other versions of the known prints or bring in other outside uh, people from other agencies or lots of other things you can do to bring in more information to, to see how that affects the opinion and if a consensus can be reached. Yes. All right. So uh, I know we're running a little long, but what I do want to mention one of the, the next thing that they get into, which is the the concept of conflict resolution between you and the computer. Yes, and they point out, you know, truly that 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 is going to be coming and be uh, coming more frequently uh, as different models get developed, improved, and approved uh, for use in casework. The the other thing that I had just you know, a little disagreement on again. These are the two uh, points where I was just like, eh, everything else I really did enjoy was uh, they, they have a, uh, a bias towards, at least down the road, this idea that the computer choice is going to be ideal and is going to be the preferred opinion uh, to report. And now they do have caveats of, granted, that is from a model that's been approved and vetted and validated, yada, yada, yada. I'd want to just see the, that that data, you know, showing that the validated model outperforms the human examiner, before saying, yeah, yeah, let's let's have the the computer model be the preferred answer that kind of outranks the human. I I thought this might be the uncomfortable part for you <laughs> or the the disagreement. I I get where they're coming from, and frankly, I. I kind of take I take more their side, but recognize some exceptions, and and I, I take their point very clearly, which I, I I think they're right that at the end of the day, the models generally have better credentials when it comes to measuring how rare characteristics are. There's simply no for characteristics that they can measure. They get into the whole look. If there's other stuff that you can't put right. into the model, that's one thing, but when it comes down to minutia. 
if the model says that these minutiae are not rare, but your training experience think that they are rare, sorry, you should go with the model. I agree with them on that because a data set should always trump experiential judgment. That's what they say. And I kind of agree with them on that because we don't – we're not these perfect computers and we don't have these great data sets in, in our head. Now, if we find fault with them, with their reasoning or the data set or whatever, okay, but I mean, apples to apples, the models, when it comes to measuring rarity of characteristics, will always be able to do it better than the human. There's just simply no way we can compete with, with that kind of data set and that computing power. Once that's demonstrated, I mean, I can I can believe it once it's been demonstrated. I just... Well, I, it's demonstrated with with APHIS. I mean, what we and through DNA. I mean, through DNA, we we know that the models right. can always estimate better than the human how rare characteristics are by searching a large database. Yeah, searching a large database to find you know the match in there. Yeah, the computer obviously does that you know much more efficiently and faster uh, and better than than a human uh, could. But uh, evaluating a one to one comparison. Uh, I mean, the hu- human still outperforms the computer by quite a bit. Uh, what do you mean by evaluating? Evaluating how rare characteristics are or evaluating the how good of a match they are or evaluating the holistic characteristics? The the combination um, of everything there. Just, you know, given a, a in you know, obviously difficult comparisons, the, the easy ones the computer's going to be just fine on, but given a difficult comparison... Uh, data set with um, with you know ground truth for for all the samples i i i haven't seen the computer outperform a human and i mean if that data exists out there i i'd love to to see it but you know there are still some comparisons that uh that, that a human's going to going to be able to identify that and that's usually what the difference is it's the computer needs certain cleanness of the image or or distortion or something uh because and again it's part of how it works in measuring distances and not ridge counts there's just some that the the computer's just not going to see but are we we cross talking at different purposes here because i mean you're talking about the whole comparison the whole the entire holistic process i'm talking about the two specific tasks that are not only outlined in the paper but outlined by the numerator and denominator sure how how good is the model of detecting differences in distances and distortion which i don't know i i the the models are always better at that right right and, and how good is the system at detecting how rare characteristics are by searching a database when you're right when it comes to lights out matching and the, the entire holistic comparison process feature extraction those kinds of things assessing you know other features that the model can't agreed throughout the entire process but the two specific tasks that models can do outperform humans and that's what the paper is kind of making that claim on got it you know i give you that one there but then i think what the paper then it goes another step of saying that then this this likelihood ratio measurement of the those numerator and denominator uh combined together is preferable to the Uh holistic method okay right in fact, now, you're right. There's ex- it says all features considered equal. So all things being equal, right? The humans' assessment of their LR, the like the ratio of those features versus again agreeing on all the same features, not third level detail or anything else. Right. 
You either have the human's LR or you have the model's LR. Their position is you should take the model's LR if it's been validated and is part of your case working. You don't get to just now ignore the model. Right, right. One of the things I wanted to, to get into here, and this is remember, they're not saying a conclusion though. And that's that's, that's I guess the, the the point is which, which is preferable: a holistic conclusion versus a computer LR. Well, uh, remember, they don't advocate the conclusion. They simply want you to stop at the LR. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's true. One, one thing they, they, they mentioned here, though, is that, that there is this difference, that the, the computer is basically, at least at this point, looking at the, those minutiae, location, uh, direction, uh, et cetera. The human has other information that, it's con- that, uh, that we're considering. And they say that with with uh, increase in technology, the the data sets that both are considering will will begin to merge. And I suspect that that's actually not going to happen. My um, my understanding of how this technology is progressing is that, uh, and this may be different in in likelihood models versus you know APHIS matchers. But at least for APHIS matchers, the technology is actually moving away from uh, the minutia location and direction. It's considering that information less and less with each iteration. And with these deep learning AI kinds of, of uh, developments that are going into the new uh, matchers, the the stuff that the, that the APHIS matcher at least is looking at is becoming increasingly unknown to us humans, and but it's increasing their accuracy. So that's the direction that they're going to go because they're just going to go with accuracy, you know, as as the main driver. But as you know, we're considering minutia and our other stuff, and the computer is considering minutia less and less and increasing its other stuff. That we aren't really going to be able to see what it that is. I think as technology goes forward that the computer set data set and our data set are going to actually go further apart. Okay. I, I take your point. I, I see your point there. Uh, and, and the paper doesn't address that because it's based on minutia right, right. based models and minutia based scores and such. But I mean, I can see your point in the future if it goes that direction or, you know, or if a Cedric Newman's approach of moving away from score-based likelihood ratios and moving towards what he calls true likelihood ratios, okay, you know, then there might be a different kind of a model. But I, I can I can see your point there. And that's – who knows how things are going to uh, turn out and and maybe there is going to be an improved model that that is developed to act like uh, – to compare like a human does separate from what the APHIS matchers are doing to just find the the candidate in a, a one to n, you know, a, a searching a large database kind of scenario. Right, uh, and maybe you know, maybe those both things will be developed separately, and and uh, and then that'll match. The point here that they really make is it's important to when you do a consensus with a computer, make sure that you're looking at the same thing, yeah, and considering the same thing, yeah. A couple of little quibbles aside that I kind of went through. I, I also really did enjoy the paper. I, I liked the. The hey, just report everything, and um, if there's still disagreements, I like the how they kernelized exactly how to tear apart the disagreement to find uh, you know where you can build a similarity, and and um, it expressed a lot of the stuff that I've been working into different classes in in a great way. So 
good job to, again, as always, to all the people out of the song. Totally agree. And I'll make this paper probably a, a reference in the classes that I teach as well and I think is a good resource for people to go to. And I think there's a few elements of this I'll probably adopt and put in my reports as well. There you go. That's the, the highest form of praise, right? Yeah. I mean, because it, it actually is harmonious with my process right now. And the fact I'm using a model, actually, these situations do come up where occasionally a model and I might be in disagreement. I had one the other day where I was very surprised the model came back with such a low score for, for 10 features I had. And then after looking at it, it turned out that what was real clear was that it, it had placed less weight on the features than I had. Uh, basically, they're not as rare as I thought they were, according to its data output. It wasn't a distortion issue, so it wasn't the numerator. It was the no- right. denominator. It effectively was saying, eh, Glenn, you're overweighting these a little bit. And so then I actually deferred to the model because I believe the model knows better than I do based on millions of fingerprints how rare these characteristics actually are. And, you know, uh, maybe, I don't know. There's no way for me to know how rare characteristics in the world pattern were. So I was willing to default to the model (laughs) and then add in other things the model couldn't consider, like a a couple of incipient ridges as well as an open field and one other little uh, distinctive characteristic. And so I then subjectively adjusted it, but I, I defaulted to its its output as my starting point. All right. Well, that'll close out uh, this episode. Again, if you uh, can't get a copy of the paper, just reach out to one of us and um, uh, and we'll, we'll get it to you. Or, or you know, join Patreon and uh, see uh, my my highlighted, well, digitally highlighted uh, copy. You know, Eric, I, I think uh, we'd also be interested in other approaches the conflict resolution the agencies take yeah. I, I, th- I think you and i have looked at a couple of other papers we might explore about conflict resolution and verification processes so we may have a little series here on verification coming up so if listeners want to share anything about their processes uh good or bad some things have gone very well or wrong or <laughs> you know those kinds of stories uh, feel free to share with us anonymously or not as well Totally. That's, that's great. We had talked to you beforehand about this other paper out of the Houston Forensic Science Center that we couldn't really fit into this episode, but maybe covering it in a later one. But then, yeah, having, you know, kind of getting a sampling out there of, of what other uh, conflict resolution policies people have would be great. We can kind of, um, you know, find what different agencies all do the same, what they do different and and uh, and go from there. Yeah, there's also one out of um, – there's a pilot study in latent print conflict management as well out of the Journal of Forensic Research. And then there's also one about resolving conflict out of Finland. So okay. uh, there's probably about three other papers that we can take a look at and, again, try to summarize the, the highlights of these. Well, you know, Glenn, as, as the holidays approach – what better topic to cover <laughs> than conflict resolution? <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> All right. Head over to patreon.com slash podcast uh, if you want to contribute to us there. Email glenn at eliteforensicservices.com or myself, eric, at rayforensics.com. Twitter at WPod. Also Instagram. Uh, same thing. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the speaker and not necessarily of anyone they may work for. If this is the last episode before Thanksgiving, then happy Thanksgiving, everybody, and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Have a good week and happy holidays.